Yes, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper and I'm looking forward to another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx and WA Basketball in general to give you the best insight possible into what is happening in the sport throughout this state. What a weekend it was for basketball lovers. The NBL season began with the Perth Wildcats having an impressive victory over the Brisbane Bullets to get life under new coach John Really off to a good start, but the clear highlight occurred in Sydney at the Women's World Cup. Bronze Aussies once more. The Opals claim their first world championship medal on home soil after a tournament full of passion and pride. And the great Lauren Jackson gets her fairy tale farewell. So what does all this mean for women's basketball in this country? And can the WNBL capitalise on the popularity and success of this World Cup? Christy Collier-Hill is the head of the WNBL. I'm happy to say she is on the line at the moment. Christy, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thanks for having me, Craig. Nice to be here. Now, have you come down from the high yet? You're up in Sydney. What was it like? (laughs) Well, kind of. You know, I was exhausted at the end of it and I was just a spectator. So I genuinely can't imagine how the athletes were feeling. But I've got to say, the energy in the stadium, you know, there was a couple of massive, massively attended games in terms of crowds. But even those that had kind of the smaller crowds, it was just an unbelievable energy in the stadium. And everyone could kind of feel it. It was quite electric. Lots of people walking around with Lauren Jackson singlets and goats on their heads and all sorts of kind of crazy things. But um, it was pretty cool to see the support that had turned out, um, not just for the Opals, but for the whole tournament. So um, a really electric and exciting atmosphere. And look, puts us in a really good position for the WNBL and and all women's basketball for that matter moving forward. So with those crowds, it was a grand total of 71,139 who watched the Opals in action across all, all of their matches. And when you consider that interest rates are soaring, which puts pressure on people financially, the Sydney Swans made the AFL grand final and it's in their backyard, and, and both NRL grand finalists were from that Western Sydney region. People don't have a lot of money, man, but it felt like the sport woke up a real sleeping giant. Was that, was that the feeling that people had, had realised just how good the women's basketball brand actually is? I think so. Well, I hope so, right? Those numbers are incredible. And as you say, we're, you know, bookended by the two footy grand finals, which could have really had an impact on the figures. I think overall the figures across the tournament were over 150,000 attendees, which is phenomenal. And then, you know, those medal games sold out arena, a sold out arena with 15 plus thousand people there cheering on America and China and the Opals and Canada. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, basketball is a huge sport, right? There's, you know, over a million people that play in Australia and over 4 million people that follow basketball. So there's plenty of people out there that know the game, that love the game and that follow it. I think this tournament has probably just opened their eyes to how good the women's part of the game is, Um, not just, again, not just from the Opals, but for all the female athletes that took part in that, you know, it's incredible. The athleticism, the skill, the grit, the determination, all of those, um, you know, kind of cheesy words. But genuinely, to see them in person and watch them, you know, go about their business was phenomenal. And look, I'm a fan, first and foremost, so I loved it. But then you had people there that were, you know, fringe fans, kids that played basketball. You had a lot of people watching on ESPN who did a phenomenal job with the broadcast, which, again, I think will only, you know, put women's basketball in good stead. But I think it all just kind of points towards um, awakening the beast, I think you said. Maybe maybe that's what it's done for us. So yet to be seen, but certainly we've got a lot of momentum riding off the back of this World Cup to kind of take forward. 
Was there a financial boost for Australian basketball out of it? Or is FIBA the ones who benefited from having, as you said, 71,000 people watching the Opals and 150,000 in total throughout the entire tournament? Where does that money sort of go to? Do we get it or do they get it? <laughs> I'd love it if I got it. Can they just send it my way to the WNBL? <laughs> um, no, it's. I mean, it's a FIBA-run event. There is a local organising committee, which is kind of a standalone company that runs the event, but the event is owned and run by FIBA. Um, so unfortunately, we don't see any financial kind of, I suppose, rewards back directly i should say directly from the event however as part of it there was a lot of uh, a lot of funding opportunities um certainly legacy funding i know there's a few initiatives that were rolled out by state and territory basketball associations that received funding through the loc i know there's a big project that will be rolled out shortly um for women and girls in basketball from basketball australia that received some funding through there so um kind of directly but inadvertently there was definitely some i suppose there is definitely some flow through from that funding and I suppose the financial benefit of running this sort of tournament in Australia. What about IP? You were up there, obviously, as you said, more as, as a fan more than anything, but did, was your, were you able to work in with those other nations and learn what they're doing, what you can steal and what they, they can steal a couple of things from you as well? Was there, were there those sorts of meetings going on? Not really. Look, the, the crew that was out there with the with the teams, predominantly there, they're focused on playing, right? So um, I didn't get an opportunity to really sit down with the key administrators from those other countries. However, there was still a lot of learnings and even just learnings from, I think, how well we do as a nation compared to other nations, um, given our size and given our resources. And a really good example of that um, that was shared um, by our team was, you know, our team had a, a you know, the great uniforms that they played in, a green set and a gold set, and then they washed them and they played in them again. And then you had the Americans that came over with, I don't know how many boxes um, of uniforms. I would imagine they never played in the same uniform twice. Um, So those sorts of things just kind of show where we are as a nation in basketball, you know, rightly or wrongly, but also how, how good we are on the world stage, given, you know, you know, our size and, and what we have. Um, so that doesn't quite answer your question, but I just kind of liked that story because I think it just it puts us in good stead as a nation. And a, and a home World Cup is so different to one that's overseas, isn't it? When you consider that Australia won silver in Spain in 2018, but this actually felt bigger watching it. And maybe that's because it was in our backyard and we had all of the legends of Australian basketball there and the, the massive re, um, reunion that the Opals had and the 2006 gold medal winning team being announced they were going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And that includes WA's Tully Bevilacqua. Take us inside what it was like to have all of those people up there. I mean, any event on home soil of this magnitude is going to be pretty special. And I think, you know, in fairness to the local organising committee, they did an exceptional job in delivering it. It it truly was absolutely fantastic on the ground. You mentioned about it being feeling like it's been quite significant. I mean, it is significant. The Tokyo Olympics um, was a real challenge for everybody involved in that Opals program for, you know, lots of reasons that I don't think we need to go into. But, um, you know, the athletes and, and people involved in that program after Tokyo were devastated they were gutted and so it was a bit of picking back up rebuilding a team rebuilding a culture i know that word is thrown out there a lot but genuinely um you know rebuilding a culture and given the pool that the opals had where there was you know it was always going to be tough it was no no game i think um probably outside mali was a guaranteed win um despite how good our team is because those other nations are strong um so to see them perform so well um to see them get a medal um I don't know. I think, is anyone really going to beat America? It's always going to be tough, right? So I kind of think going out on a win is a great thing to do rather than losing to America and, you know, getting a silver. 
Um, I just think the rebuilding of the team post-Tokyo has been really significant. Uh, you know, personally, I thought the appointment of Tess Madgen as captain was was absolute genius. She, um, you know, she's not in the starting group for the Opals, but she is someone who works almost harder than anybody else on the training court, is a great leader and a great teammate and a great person. And I think that appointment, um, bringing back LJ and what she brought to that group, it was just kind of special. And then obviously, you know, you've got LJ's last, as she said, it was her last international game in that last game. To have that kind of moment with, you know, 30 points and dominating and just going out the way she did. I mean, it's it's the thing, I've seen it on socials, but it's the thing movies are made of. So, look, hopefully someone will do a movie about that at some point in time too. But, um, look, I, I think I, if you asked any of the Opals, they'd be elated with that whole tournament and coming away with the bronze. Well, you mentioned LJ. She is a legend and there should be a movie. And uh, maybe we'll just have a <laughs> listen back to what that final moment was like. I'll always remember Lauren Jackson's last game. Stand up and applaud Australia. One of the all-time greats in any sport that this country has produced. She goes out on her terms. Lauren Jackson, you bloody superstar. It's great, it's great bit of commentary from Jason Bennett. He, he, was, he was fantastic through the whole tournament. But how do you quantify what it was like for everyone to see her play and to play with her? Well, it's giving me tingles just even hearing that bit of commentary from Jason there. I mean, she that last game, and we were flogging them in the end, right? We won by 30. Um, but the crowd didn't stop. They didn't stop cheering for her. They didn't. They stood on their feet when she came off the court. And for every basket she got from the moment she scored one point right through to her 30th point, people were off their seats clapping and cheering and whistling and doing all the things that, that they've done. And um, it just you felt like you were being there, being part of a moment in Australian sporting history, which we now know it was, and you could kind of feel it. It was very electric in the air. So, you know, we were in the stands watching that, and then you saw the emotion from LJ and all the players that rallied around her after the game. And, look, genuinely that group of athletes were thrilled that they won, but you could also see how how thrilled they were for her to be able to, you know, the greatest player we've ever seen in this country, to be able to go out like that. It is it is a bit of a fairy tale ending, one that she never thought and the Australian basketball, you know, community never thought she would get. So, um, I don't know. I don't really know what else I can say about it. It was just phenomenal. She's got to get herself up again to play in a month. Though. She's playing for Southside <laughs> this season. Do you sense it'll be a bit of the John Farnham farewell tour with people coming out <laughs> all around the country just to get a glimpse of her playing? I think so, genuinely. And off the back of the, the World Cup as well, um, you know, I was talking to Tracy Browning, at the, who's the general manager of the Southside Flyers last week, and their memberships doubled almost instantly once they announced her as part of their roster this season. They've moved venues, so they're playing out of the State Basketball Centre in Melbourne, which is a bigger venue from what they had previously. And I genuinely think they'll have um, some very big crowds out to see her play. Uh, so the impact she'll have, you know, not just for the Southside Flyers, but for the whole league, um, look, I'm not going to lie, I'm very excited that she's playing, um, you know, like, like I think we've got eight of the 12 Opals that we're playing, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, but the LJ effect, look, yeah, we just can't underestimate what sort of effect that will have. And for Lynx fans, she is coming to Perth, or the, the Flyers are coming to Perth twice, twice throughout the season. Whether or not she makes mm-hmm. both trips, we'll have to wait and see. The first one is on December 8, which is a Thursday night, and then again on January 13, which is a Friday night, and that will be a big ticket item. Now, one of the big things around Lauren in general, and probably with the WNBL over recent years, is that there has been a bit of a messiah complex around one person. We had it when Lauren was playing initially 
initially. Then Liz came back, and then Liz went, and then Liz came back again. Mm. There was a big focus on her, and now Lauren's back again. And there'll be a big focus on her again. But I look at someone like Steph Talbot as a WNBL mm. MVP, WNBA star, World Cup All Star five selection, Sammy Wickham, dual WNBA champion, Ezzy Magbagor, Kayla George. We can, we can go on and on. There's, they should be household names, regardless of whether you follow the sport closely or not. And we've seen with how well the AFLW have marketed Daisy Pearce and Taylor Harris mm. and Aaron Phillips. What can the league do to make those players and the Shiloh Heels and Jade Melbournes and hopefully Perth Amy Atwell turn into those sorts of players who everybody knows? Yeah, I mean, you, you've basically articulated, I think, what, what we've kind of put together as our PR and marketing strategy for this year. So, look, the L, LJ's amazing and she's going to get coverage no matter where she is, much the same as Liz did. But we recognise that not just in the WNBL but in Australian basketball across, you know, across the country, there's very few household names for women's basketball. Um, you know, and outside you and I, Craig, who could, you know, probably name every single player in the league and those that have played in the past, for most people who are inside basketball, yeah, sure, they'll be able to name them. But those on the fringes only really get the kind of, you know, like you said, the Lizards and the Laurens of the game. So our strategy this year is to really identify a group of athletes, and there's a number that you've kind of mentioned there that will be part of that, that we will work to promote and elevate their status. Um, it's really important that this – and we've got to kind of utilise the LJ factor, right? So do we, for every interview we have requested from LJ, do we partner her with one of those athletes to kind of bring them along the journey? Certainly the younger ones as well. Um, all of those names that you just mentioned absolutely deserve to be household names in Australia. Um, our job is, and collectively with the clubs, of course, is to do as much as we possibly can to to help ride the momentum from the World Cup and help elevate them out there into the, you know, not just the basketball community but the broader public. So the coverage of the World Cup itself was outstanding. Jason Bennett, as we've mentioned, what a great caller he was. I thought Jenna O'Hay was a real breath of fresh air and a great media talent um, and with what she did as an analyst. Is that the sort of stuff we can expect from this new TV deal you signed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, we are in the midst of locking away our commentary team at the moment. Um, we will be announcing it at our season launch, which is on the 26th of the 10th. Um, but quite a number of the uh, team that were involved in the ESPN uh, crew will be involved in the WNBL, um, as well as some others that we're bringing in. Um, so a bit of a, you know, there'll, there'll certainly be some um, some faces that we've seen and heard from before, but we'll definitely be bringing in some new faces this year too. So um, it's looking exciting. It really is. And you've taken a calculated risk by making Wednesday night your prime time <laughs> evening. Um, talk us through that decision and what you're hoping to get out of it. Yeah, look, I mean, bringing ESPN on board was a very strategic decision. And so I mentioned before about the basketball fans in Australia. So a million odd people play, but four million odd basketball fans. Now, we know those basketball fans, many of them live on the ESPN network because ESPN already has WNBA, NBA, NBL, college ball, and now they've brought WNBL into the fold. So for us to grow outside of the immediate kind of WNBL fan base and expand our fan base, we recognise that, you know, realistically, we're not trying to get a, a, a rugby league fan and convert them. There's 4 million basketball fans in Australia. We just need to do better at reaching those fans and engaging with them and, um, I suppose, exposing them to the great game that is the WNBL. Um, so that alignment with ESPN was really a very strategic part of that. Now, ESPN has, I suppose, offered us this Wednesday night to be the featured game of the week. So what that does give us is um, prime time, for starters, that kind of prime time slot. It gives us a bit of, um, I suppose, a bit of clear air. We know NBL does have some games on Wednesdays, but 
thinking about basketball in general, Wednesday nights is generally a good night. So we're avoiding a lot of uh, junior competitions and uh, training sessions. And um, we know there's social competitions running every night, of course. Um, so what we want to the intent is really to, I suppose, kind of own that space. And we'll work through with ESPN the, the marketing, which will kick off, you know, shortly in a few weeks with them. But it's kind of WMBL Wednesdays, the whole W the whole W piece um, and how we really build that. You know, it's a it'll be the first year of it this year, so there's no doubt it will be a building process and certainly a, an education process of where to watch us and how to watch us and what time to watch us. But certainly the intent is that by giving us that prime time, giving us that clear air where we're not, you know, across other things that it provides us with an opportunity to build the brand. So one of the things I found both compelling and refreshing during that World Cup was there was genuine storytelling from months out. From the moment Jenna O'Hay actually explained what happened at the Olympics, everyone went, wow. And then it gave a storyline for people to follow and get lost in, really. And we had the the highs and lows of, you know, that was devastating. But then Lauren gets picked and we have hype. Then we were bad against France and the despair came back. And suddenly we're going up again and we're going to finish top of the group. Then there's the heartbreak of the semi and then the elation of bronze. And you need that roller coaster and drama in sport. But I, I don't think... Uh, the players have handled the roller coaster of media coverage all that well in the past when the negativity has come their way. They've been very, mm. um, they haven't been happy with some of the things the league have done. They weren't happy with some of the things I said last year. Um, yeah. I, I think they're ready for the highs and lows that come with genuine scrutiny with extra coverage. Uh, I mean, that's a really good question and it's something that we'll, you know, we'll certainly have some sessions with the athletes before the season kicks off. And I mean, that sort of, you know, that sort of scrutiny, I suppose, is a part of professional sport um and you know certainly can be handled in different ways by different people um but uh, you know i i think you know it's not that all media is good media but constructive media um positive media challenging media that's all good and i think you know collectively um everybody who's involved in the WNBL, you know athletes coaches administrators clubs the league everybody and and, you know sort of media and fans we've all got to do our bit in helping to elevate it and if that means um you know uh having some you know good conversation or people you know sharing opinion pieces or putting things forward i don't think that's a bad thing what i do think we have to do is make sure that we're looking after the people that are part of the sport and the game um you know certainly predominantly you know the players and other people who you know might be criticized a little bit in media at various times but I don't think it's a bad thing and you know I'm not going to say encourage it or fabricate it but but I think more of it would be great as you said the the stories and and the highs and the lows are what gets people interested and I think you've done a terrific job in handling that that those controversies last year, and you've done a brilliant job since taking on uh, this position. You've been fantastic for the league, and you're about to add another feather to your cap with a pretty significant sponsorship deal. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the very kind words. There's uh, certainly a whole team that is involved in running the league. Um, but, yeah, look, there's been some really good things. The broadcast deal and new naming rights partner in Signet, um, a brilliant Australian-owned company who've, you know, jumped on board for three years, which we could not be more thrilled about. But, yeah, tomorrow, which I think today is when this podcast is released, um, we're, we're announcing another major sponsor of the WNBL. Um, so CTM Sport, which is a corporate travel company um they've certainly been involved as a corporate travel partner with basketball australia in the past and continuing to do that i believe they're also the corporate travel partner of the australian commonwealth games team this year 
Um, so they have been great supporters of sport. They are very, um, I suppose they're really strong supporters of women's sport and in particular women's basketball. And this year they've decided to jump on board um, and, you know, provide significant support to the WNBL. So they're joining us as a major partner. It's a three-year partnership, very similar to the Signet one. So some really great brands and some really strong support for the league from two really great Australian companies. So genuinely, we could not be more thrilled. So will that help to filter back towards helping with things like player wages and, and trying to challenge the big money that's overseas that's taken Darcy Garbin and Ariana Tolo and Eddie Magmagor and Beck Allen, as you mentioned, four who, who were part of that mm. Opals team who aren't playing here. Um, will that help to retain players, do you feel, if we, will we see wages go up? I think we've got a. I think we've got a bit more to get in the in the coffers before we're able to kind of do that. I mean, um, that's that's absolutely the intent. And look, one of the things on my plate, uh, which has already um, kind of started, is the the collective bargaining agreement, which runs through to the end of this season. So the WNBL, um, in conjunction with clubs, will work with the Australian Basketball Players Association to develop a new collective bargaining agreement, which will kick off at the end of this season and run through for a number of years, probably three years again. And certainly those, um, you know, player wages and salary caps and all of that will form part of those discussions. Our intent as a league is to be able to build enough revenue that we can start doing some significant things with it. So club financial sustainability, is a really big one, Craig, and I know you're aware of that, but, you know, clubs having gone through two years of COVID, um, so ensuring that they're financially sustainable, you know, to be able to continue in the competition is is something that we need to strive towards. And then, you know, things like player wages, things like, you know, greater marketing and media spend, all of those things are absolutely on the cards to, um, that we need to achieve. But, but even with the, the, the great partners that we've brought in, we still need to bring more in before we're able to, I'm going to say, make any real big dents in those things at the moment. The finance is the biggest challenge, isn't it? You, the Lynx don't, yeah. don't have a WNB import this year. There's a lot of other clubs that haven't signed the big name imports because Europe is just so much money over there. Is yeah. that your biggest challenge? Yeah, I mean, just resources in a word, which is financial and people, and that is across the league and across the clubs. I think we'd all love to be paying more money. Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. We'd all love to be doing more across, you know, socials and media and marketing, you know, certainly across club land. Everybody, to some degrees, is a bit hampered by resource. Um, and I say that with, and, you know, saying it, clubs and the league, Everyone does a pretty good job considering what they've got. Um, but gee, wouldn't I say all companies are the same? Wouldn't it be nice to have some more resource where we can, you know, kind of um, do a bit more with what we've got? So it definitely resource is the biggest challenge. Um, you know, as you said, Europe has a lot of money and can certainly offer those athletes great opportunities to play over there. And you'd never, you'd never want to deny them that, um, both financially and for the experience. But gee, we'd love to keep some of them here. I bet you guys would have loved to keep Darcy um, back in Perth for another year. So we've got to kind of figure out how we can, you know, I suppose balance it out a little bit so that we're not losing too many players to those European opportunities. You've also announced an awards um, ceremony for the end of the year, which is which is terrific. And speaking of awards, mm-hmm. we do have our own awards here on the Dribble Podcast, which is the Dribble Podcast MVP awards for both the Perth Wildcats and Perth Lynx. So the Wildcats obviously started on the weekend. So their votes from the Brisbane game. I went one vote to Luke Travers, not only for his nine points and seven assists, but for spending half an hour standing in the ocean at Rockingham in full playing gear with me and a photographer on Friday afternoon so we could take that awesome photo everyone saw on the back page of the West Australian on Saturday. Two votes to, to Sean Thomas, who scored 12 points points, had six, assil- six assists and two steals, and the three votes went to this man. Hands off to Cotton, inside five minutes, crosses over, <laughs> it'll never get old. 
Yes, Bryce Cotton, what a freak. 23 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists and 6 steals. Now, we have to wait a little bit until the WNBL season arrives. It is November 2 before it begins, uh, but you have a season launch on October 26. It'll be nice for you to have everyone back together in the room again, finally. Oh, won't it just? I mean, the last couple of seasons, obviously, like most professional leagues, but heavily COVID impacted. It's going to be so great to have every, well, we're certainly bringing over two athletes from every team for the season launch, which will be held in Melbourne. Um, we'll announce, you know, kind of formally share some our corporate partners in Signet and CTM Sport there. We'll also be announcing what we're doing for our themed rounds, which, um, you know, we'll share at that point in time as well, as well as announcing the commentary team um, at that event also. So a few kind of nice things which will be able to share on that day. And you have scheduled five of Perth's first six games here at the Bender Basketball Centre. There were no games here in 2020 amid the Queensland mm-hmm. Harbour, only four regular season games here last year due to the border closure. It feels like you've really set up the Lynx fans to have an opportunity to see their team and enjoy the sport again. I hope so, genuinely, because, you know, Perth probably, well, we know Perth has been the most impacted from the last two seasons, given everything that happened due to COVID. So, yeah, you know, the Perth Lynx get the opening game of the season this year, playing against, um, you know, the championship um, winners from last year and their old foes in the Melbourne Boomers. So that should be an absolute cracker. It is on a Wednesday night. So I know that, you know, that could be challenging, but would really encourage um, everyone who, you know, supports the Perth Lynx and plays basketball there in Perth to get behind that game and get along and watch it. And then, yeah, as you said, um, a string of games to open the season. So I think it's really important to to show the Perth fans that the links are back, to really encourage them to get out there and, you know, support their team, grab a membership or get some tickets and get along and support them. Um, you know, they, again, they've got a really strong team, so it should be a really successful season for them. And in case Lynx fans have forgotten how close they were to a championship last year, this <laughs> is the brutal way Game 2 ended the last time there was a match in Perth. Oh, my goodness. What a twist. A foul on the three-point shooter and Mabry's going to the free-throw line to tie the game. She hits this, we're going to OT. She misses and Melbourne win. Shot up, it's short. Boomers win. And that was the last game. The the Lynx even looked like winning because game three just became a domination and um, and, and the the Boomers absolutely took it home. So that that should be a cracking way to start the season, shouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. And look, that game two of the grand final, again, like a profile in women's basketball, that was an absolute cracker. Um, you know, I know if you're a Lynx fan, the result is hard, but the quality of play from both teams in that game was just phenomenal. And, you know, games that go down to the wire are, of course, always very um, entertaining as well. Um, so, yeah, look, I think it's going to be a great season. I think, you know, Perth, again, they've got a great team, so it should be really competitive and up there. Boomer's the same. So that first game, um, definitely if you're in Perth, get out there and watch it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You've been superb since taking on this role, and we can see that the benefits are already rolling in, so it's been great for the listeners to get such a great insight about what's happening within the WNBL and within women's basketball throughout the country. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this episode of the Dribble Podcast. Remember, you can keep reading all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and by logging on to thewest.com.au. Thank you to the magnificent Kate Ryan for all of her production work in the studio. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Dribble Podcast.